get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Oh to do. It's now three to nothing Tampa. They dump it in. Waiting for the puck is Jordan Bennington to go around. It hits the partition where the officials come onto the ice and it's three nothing Tampa on one of the wackiest plays you'll see in the National Hockey League. I had no reason to pull him other than a momentum swing maybe for our team, but I didn't want to take him out for that purpose. I didn't feel that that was the right move. Part of the life of being a goaltender, uh, it's not always going to go your way, and I just uh, stayed with it, and, um, you know, the mission was to try and give the team a chance to win, and and uh, I think I did breaks, that. Tries to get around Belmar. Centers to O'Reilly! He scores! And a loser on the board! Jordan Cairo created havoc! Circle to Barbashev, he scores! Ivan Barbashev! Bennington from far wide. Shoots! Save! Bennington! Bring out the Zamboni! Jordan Bennington battled hard tonight. He backstops a spectacular comeback. And the Blues get a 4-3 shootout win at Enterprise Center. Do you guys remember what it was like on October 25th? It was a great day here in St. Louis. Was it was the last time that the Blues won back-to-back games. Oh, and yeah, that was in the midst of a five-game win streak where BK said, man, I'm not in on this Blues the team. Who's going to get that fifth win? <laughs> yeah. BK Stop was like, oh, this Blues team's not going to be any good a five-game win streak. That is not true. Good With Alex God. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Blues have won back-to-back games for the first time in a, a little more than a month now. So it was see them get back on the winning side of things last night against Tampa Bay. Alex, let's start out with the truth serum moment. The Blues are down two or three nothing early on. Bennington lets in that that goal that I've, I mean, we heard the call right there from the Blues radio network last night. Oh my goodness. I've never seen anything quite like that happen to a Blues goaltender. Were you ready to pull him at that moment? No, I wasn't ready to pull him. You know, the one thing I thought of in that moment was, and you wouldn't remember this, BK, because, uh, I mean, I don't, you might not have been in hockey in this man. time. No, uh, <laughs> some Blues fans will remember this, though. There was a game, the New York Rangers facing the Blues, and it was Patrick Laleem in net. And the puck ricocheted off of the back plexiglass bounced off of it, went off of Laleem's back and into the net. And I'm thinking, there's no way a goal can ever beat that. Well, last night did that to Jordan Bennington. But no, I wasn't pulling him. Because to me, 
Bennington was not the issue last night. And I know people hear it. Oh, Ferrario defending the goaltender again. Who could see Halleck saying that the goalie wasn't the issue? Go back and watch the highlights. The two goals that were scored on him, the Blues defense was standing around puck watching. And to be fair, I would have been too. The puck was like at their eyes. One was above their head and they're looking at it like, where's this going to (laughs) drop? And then the Corey Perry power play goal, like that was just a, that was a battle in front of the net that the Blues got outworked. And look, I can understand understand the people that say, oh, well, a goal that ricochets and the goaltender doesn't stop it off the boards, he should be out of the game. Watch the highlight. Bennington's eyes are following that puck behind the net before it even ricochets off of that because it's it's natural. As a goaltender, when somebody rims it around the boards, you're going to follow it so you can go stop it, and it ricochets and it goes in. I thought Baruby was going to pull him, and I looked towards the bench when that goal went in, Baruby didn't even flinch. He didn't even look towards Ville Husso because he knew that Jordan Bennington was the guy and he yeah, was not he was the problem here. Bench. Yeah, he, <laughs> he was looking at his bench, he was but sure he wasn't looking at, at the corner bench. where Ville Husso was sitting. But that, that was that was more of a team not battling enough in front of Jordan Bennington. And I think what Craig Baruby, and he said it after the game, what he was going after was he knew the fact that his team recognized that they should be playing better for their goaltender and that Bennington was going to make the saves that he needed to. And lo and behold, he did. Yeah. Emily Kaplan said uh, between the, the benches last night, she said that Baruby basically looked at the team and said, you got to start moving your feet. This is unbelievable. And he's right. They looked lifeless for the first six minutes. And that was everybody. He said he didn't think they were playing that poorly. I I, I frankly did. I thought they played really poorly to start things off yesterday. I, but To start things off, they did. Towards the end the, of that period, they looked better. Absolutely. After the first six minutes, they looked like a different team. Yeah. It was strange. It was like something clicked for them. And it was like, oh, okay. Things are going to start looking like Blues hockey again. The rest of the game, they were clearly the superior team. I mean, you're, we're talking... 50 minutes of the game, the Blues were just better than the Lightning last night. But for whatever reason, for the first six minutes, they were awful. I'll be honest, I was ready. I was ready to make the move. And it had very little to do with what Jordan Bennington had done. You put I didn't your Huso jersey on, didn't you? That's right. I, I put the jersey on. No, he turned the damn TV off because when he turned it on, the Blues were down 3 nothing. <laughs> Hashtag BKAO. It was unbelievable. I, I was ready to make the move, not because Bennington had played particularly poorly i'm with you alex that wasn't necessarily his fault but it just felt like they needed an energy giver like they needed something to change because what they were doing clearly was not working early on Uh, far be it for me baruby was obviously right they didn't need to change the goalie to give them energy they needed a swift kick to the groin and they got one from the lightning well and it's such a hard thing to do as a as a coach because you don't want to have the You don't want to have the cop-out of always changing the goaltender when the team starts off bad because you're not blaming the goaltender. If he allowed three goals on three shots, I'd be looking at it differently. But, man, that first goal that went in, he made three saves before it was knocked down out of the air. And, you know, that felt different than the Columbus Blue Jackets. You know, the players and the coaches talked about how after the first period against the Columbus Blue Jackets, Berube lit into his team in the intermission. Like they said, it was the most aggressive they have seen him in the middle of a game before. And it's like, oh, man, do they have to be do they have to be pumped up every time they don't have a hot start? Because that's a problem. But that one didn't feel like Craig Berube changed much. That felt more like the team kind of re-energized themselves. And that got me more optimistic about this season, man. Ryan O'Reilly skating by, talking to the team, and it did feel like, I mean, the moment that third goal went in, Curbs on the broadcast said, this has comeback written all over it because the Blues were still playing the style that they were supposed to. It was just a matter of chipping away, and I think that was the more impressive feat in that victory. Yeah, 
I'm with you. And, you know, with the Bennington thing, those are just so two weird, fluky goals. And that's why I was kind of on the mindset of maybe that's why you don't pull on. And I'm with you, Alex. You can't always have him be the cop out to, okay, here's how I got to fire up my team. I do find it a little, I don't know if I want to say I'm concerned, but I do find it a little weird how this seems to be a common theme of there have been a couple of games this year where this has been the, it either takes a period, it takes a couple of minutes. And let's be honest, they may be able to come back in some of these games doing this like they did last night. They cannot do that consistently throughout the year. They have to find a way to be able to show up from the moment the puck drops and not wait six minutes to find their legs and get going. I I know people are going to get mad at me for this. It's fine. There are some comps with the Kansas City Chiefs for this team. And what the, the, the reason... Did, did he? Uh, let, let me explain. Oh, hell no. <laughs> let me explain. I wasn't even prepared for that. <laughs> Don't worry, I got you. The Chiefs in the playoffs when they went to the Super Bowl, they flipped the switch in every game. They were down by double digits in every postseason game before they were able to make their, their comeback start, right? And it worked for them. And they found a way to overcome those early deficits every single time. And then it just became a thing where it was like, okay, yeah, they can get down early. It doesn't matter. Eventually, that's going to come back to bite you. And early this year, we saw it. The Chiefs stunk for the first, what, six weeks of the season because they were getting down early. They put themselves into a hole that they weren't able to get out of. I think the Blues had some of that to them as well. When they went through, whether it be the Stanley Cup run or early last year, like they would hit the adversity and it would just be like, we're bouncing back. We're going to find a way, whether it be in-game, in-season, whatever it would be. Injuries, everything. They were able to overcome all of it. Eventually, that stuff starts to take its toll. And the energy that you have to expend to overcome that adversity, in-game, in-season, injuries, whatever it is, it's exhausting over a game, a season, multiple years. And I think it caught up with them last year. And I think early this season, it caught up with them as well. I hope what we saw last night, and I do think this one felt different, Alex. I'm with you. Because this was not Baruby ripping them a new one or the other team just laying down. This was a really quality opponent, albeit without some of their best players, but a good opponent nonetheless, that you just beat for 50 minutes. You were just the clearly superior team for 50 minutes. Ryan O'Reilly was awesome last night another great game out of jordan kairu uh you saw jordan bennington step up in a huge way in that one your defense overall looked pretty good for the most of the game after that first portion of the the first period i'm hopeful that this is the type of game that can get them to turn things around and that it will be more than just a flash in the pan this will be something that now becomes a trend of them being able to sustain their play longer than they had been. yeah look you got to get out of the month of november and i think that's going to benefit this blues team because they played the longest stretch of hockey that they are going to have all season long those three weeks where they had four games in seven days that's the longest or most amount of games that they're going to play in a short sample size all year but on top of it Craig Berube said something after the Columbus Blue Jackets game. He said that it it takes 60. It's hard to play the style for 60 minutes, but it's not hard to work for 60 minutes. And then yesterday I used audio on pregame of Oscar Sundquist saying that, look, we, we will have tough times with the puck throughout the season. But what we shouldn't have tough times with is hitting the opposition. Blues weren't hitting in the first five minutes of that game. They were basically letting Tampa run around. They had 17 hits for the rest of the hockey game. For for the rest, what is it? Quick math. Don't do math on the air, kids. 45, 55 minutes yeah. of hockey. They out hit Tampa Bay. When they are forechecking, when they are finishing their checks, when they are showing that they have the energy, that's where the Blues cannot be stopped. And I said this last night also. Jordan Bennington, he had a tough start. 
But if Jordan Bennington's team is locked in, locked in in front of him, he is a top five goaltender in the National Hockey League. It just comes down to his defense playing tough in front of him. And, and that's why I don't feel confident about momentum being built is because I just don't have much confidence in the defense. That's what and I was just started, about to ask. And Where's started. your confidence level? T- Tanner, you can start us out. What's your confidence level that this is the game that gets them turned around? One to ten, I'll say I'll sitting at a five right now. I got I got to see it for two more games, and I can't be a slow start, and then we come back again. The defense was, and you talked about it, Alex, for the three goals, the first two goals, was because the defense was kind of puck watching. That can't happen, and that's been a theme for, it's not like this is just this year. This is dating back to last year as well. They didn't make any upgrades in the offseason. That's why it's a concern for me. That's why I can't buy into any momentum yet. And look, I get it. They are sitting in, what, second in the Central Division? Look, I'm talking about this team on a Stanley Cup level. I'm not talking about this team being a playoff team. I want this team to be a Stanley Cup contender because they're in a winning window. I'd put it at about a seven and a half, eight that this is going to turn it around because they hadn't strung two wins together. And I think there was still some lack of confidence after they'd win a game that they could find it. That's two consecutive wins. That's two consecutive comebacks for for the Blues, which I think is important uh, for people to remember here. So um, I, I thought the defense played a much better game. I do think that the defense plays differently than what people want them to. Like they don't go out there and hit. They box out. They try and use the body. I liked what Nico Mikola brought to the game the other night. I liked what Marco Scandella brought to the other night. Um, I I do think there still is some concerns in terms of the defensemen, but as a five-man unit, I thought the forwards played well. So I'd put it at about a seven and a half or eight that this is the start of some type of streak. You ready to ride the fence? Here we go. I'm going to be at a six. I'll be right between the two of you guys. I'm a little more confident than Tanner. Oh, oh you're the jerk that does prices right rules, huh? <laughs> That's right. Well, I'll take a dollar, Bob. I uh, I lost in that scenario because you had above me. He had below me. I'm right in the middle. I've only got one out in this scenario. I, I think that they are... What I saw for 55 minutes last night gave me a lot of confidence that the Blues can get back on track. The problem is what I saw in the first five minutes is the same issues that we have seen repeatedly from them over the course of this season. Just pretend it's like you do a math on the air. You do a take two. (laughs) Well, they've had like seven take twos this year. True, true. It's true. I think they'll be all right. I think they're a really good team. They are certainly a very talented team. I just want to see them put this together for like, uh, I'm with you, Tanner three, four, five more games in a row, like a stretch where they win five out of six or four out of six. And you feel good about the way they played in those other two games. They haven't really done that since the first week and a half of the season. Buckle up, boys. It's about to happen. Well, well, I'm excited. Three of four but against Tampa this, yeah, and was Florida. And this is why this is the you stretch. See what Florida did last night? Yeah. Florida. F- I, I am putting a prediction right now on the air. Florida Panthers versus Minnesota Wild in the Stanley Cup final. Because the, I know. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I think the St. Louis Blues will get to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, the Western Conference final. Minnesota's a scary good team right now. I know. Just happened. This bleep hole picking the, the wild. I'm being real. You're a Minnesota here. Wild fan. I'm being. No, I'm not. Well, no. Oh. First, we got Stoltz liking the Sharks. Now, Ferrario's a Wild fan. Same, I can't man. wait till the the Blues beat kick their ass. It's gonna be great. Gonna pull We're gonna that get audio. to the Western Conference Finals. I'm gonna pull this audio. I'm gonna See? write this down now. 11 16 on December first. This is how you, Alex Ferrario hates the Blues. This is how you bring individuals together who both hate the Blues. You make them. You make them fight against one. I'll be that guy. 
1116, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Terry Collins, the former Mets manager, about what he thinks Stephen Matz can bring to the Blues, or the Cardinals, rather. Stephen Matz on the Blues would be quite the sight. Coming up next, the Cardinals have two priorities remaining this offseason. Could I interest you in a few of these guys that got untendered yesterday to maybe fill some of those voids? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. The blasphemy, the unmitigated goal. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Yes, we still would like to add additional bullpen arms. You know, clearly we want to go into camp with a little more depth than what we had last year. I would also say that, you know, we're, we're still a little bit uncertain on what the rules are going to look like. So will there be a DH or not? Obviously, if there's a chance to add a different type of hitter between now and the time we get to camp is something that we should be considering as well. So, I mean, really, I think the way we're going to look at the remaining time here is, is just be open-minded. That was John Mosellock about a week ago talking about what the Cardinals could do the rest of this offseason. And really, that means for the next ah, 24 hours or so with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll talk to Terry Collins, the former Mets manager, here in about 10 minutes or so. Alex, Rick Hummel said something or something similar yesterday. He said the Cardinals continue to pursue right-handed relief pitching. And a left-handed bat who can play first or third or maybe even the outfield, end quote. That was Rick Hummel on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website yesterday. Those seem to be their two main priorities right now. I would like their priority to be shortstop. Doesn't appear that that's the case for them. If they have, to, if they end up going this route, Alex, they decide, okay, you know what? We want a couple of relievers, and we would like to get a left-handed bat who can replace essentially what Jose Rondon gave them yesterday, or last year. By the way, Tanner, RIP to your guy. Uh, it's it's unfortunate that I he got non tender yesterday. Shirt on just for today because you, you of this. You need a eulogy. Give me a minute. I gotta. Isn't that the fast lane thing? No. Well, it was a Ferrario thing, but uh, I guess that changed, didn't it? <laughs> it sure did, buddy. I remember when Jamie Rivers was in tears with Ferrario's eulogy. Would you guys be content if this off season they added two more relievers and a bench bat? Would, would that be enough for you to feel good about this team going into next year? No. No. Who are the bench bats? Well, you get one, and it's... Uh, <laughs> I thought you said it was two. Now you get a bench bat, a couple of relievers. No. You get like Luis Garcia, who apparently didn't sign yesterday. Thought, a, it seemed like it was heading that direction. He maybe it was signed. a different Luis Garcia. There's, there seems to be a lot of them in Major League it Baseball if you Google the name. It did take me about 20 minutes to find him when he originally signed with the Cardinals. Well, there, Same. I couldn't in, find him anywhere. I thought an they signed the guy one? for the Astros. Yeah, and then That's there's another guy, too, that's a Luis Garcia. There's three Luis Garcias in Major League Baseball. So if they ended up signing Luis Garcia and, let's call it Joe Kelly, or the equivalent of Joe Kelly. And then they Plus, get a the bench bat? Yeah, they get no. a they get a solid bench bat. Um you know, whoever. Colin Moran. I like yeah. Colin Moran, but that doesn't do the job of what your problem is right now. You're not getting another legitimate bat threat in your order. You're signing a guy as a Colin Moran to your bench who's probably just going to be thrust behind Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes and Lars Newbar. Those are going to be the main guys for you. I don't need another bench bat. I need another everyday bat in my lineup that is going to make my offense a legitimate threat against other teams' pitching staffs. If you sit here and say, well, we got Paul DeYoung, Tommy Edmond, we've got Edmundo Sosa, Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, Lars Newbar coming. Now, well, we just added this bat and we're in good shape. I don't think you don't are in good Brandon shape. Donovan as well. Who? Did Brandon you just make Donovan. that name up? 
No, he's on the 40, man. If you would Tanner. listen to the T-Bone 3. <laughs> Tanner I don't, told you how I, I, I don't listen to T-Bone 3s. They're, they're illegitimate segments on my Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, That no. was uncalled for. So the answer that is no, that for? wouldn't be enough for you. Yeah, that wouldn't be enough. Tanner? No, not enough. In fact, cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> a cool signing. That, to me, that doesn't really... You need an impact bat, and you're not getting it there. I mean, you're bringing in a bench spot, which... Let's be honest, the bench last year was like a fish out of water, just really struggling. And they really need to upgrade that. And if they're going to be willing to do it with young kids, I understand. If you want to give your Pez and Gorman a shot. But it almost sounds like they don't they don't view Gorman as if he's ready or they don't have really a spot for him. It sounds it's weird. Like- the, the roller coaster of emotions that we've taken with Nolan Gorman just in the last two weeks, in which he has not played a game, uh, is basically like he went from being the answer, potentially at second, much less at DH, to, eh, we're not sure he's going to start the major league season with the with the big league team. It's like, wait. What the so hell just what, happened? What's the plan with Nolan Gorman? And I think the answer is they just don't know yet. They, yeah. they want to see what he looks like in spring training, and then they'll make the determination there. I, as of today, your bench looks like it's going to be Kisner, DeYoung, slash Sosa, depending on who's starting that day. Newtbar, Yepes, and then one of either Brendan Donovan or Nolan Gorman, probably. That's a hell of a lot of youth on my bench that I'm trusting to come up in big spots and be successful. I'm with you. I would not be happy with this. I do think that team that they would carry into the season, though, if they add a couple of relievers and a bench bat, I think they're the favorite to win the NL Central next year. I think they probably win 90 to 92 games with that team if if things go in the right way. It doesn't make me super excited, though. I'm not going to lie to you guys and pretend like this would be the ideal offseason. If you told me two months ago that, hey, the Cardinals offseason ends and they signed Steven Matz, they brought back Luis Garcia, added one reliever, and added one bench bat, I would have been like, what? Where'd the money go? The money that we all talked about, them taking off of the books, what happened to that? And that that's potentially a realistic scenario. But if they go that route, can I interest you guys in a couple of different guys? Is this free agent Tinder? No. Is this bench Tinder? I mean, we could go ahead and do it. You guys want to do a free agency Tinder? <laughs> look, how, look how happy Tanner got. Tinder got excited happy, about yeah. this. Let's get some music. You got some music for, for Tinder, I didn't have any love music ready, but you know what? That's all right. We can just get any any well, kind of music. This is love music. This kind is, of love. This is, okay. I didn't have this any, is why okay? you don't have this. This is actually what we're getting introduced to for my wedding. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's very strange. <laughs> All right. Could I interest you in Matthew Boyd? He's probably not going to pitch next year. I should probably put that out there as a disclaimer. <laughs> so you want us to sign a guy who's not pitching? All He's right, very I don't know if I want to play Tinder anymore. <laughs> you got to flex your Tinder in Tinder. September. Uh, but he had a 3.4 ERA in his first 13 starts last season for the Tigers. Cool. He's going to have a hurt. zero ERA this season. If you signed him to a two-year deal, it's like what the the Padres did this with, what, Clevenger? They signed yeah. him to a two-year deal the first year. They knew they were getting nothing out of it. That's what you'd be doing with Matthew Boyd. Could I interest you in a Matthew Boyd, a lefty from the Tigers? Why do you want to give us hurt players, BK? I mean, maybe he helps you the same way that... Dakota Hudson did down the stretch last year. No, Dakota Hudson's better. Dakota Hudson's a possible ace. No, I'm swiping a left. I mean, on there this. was once upon a time that Matthew Boyd was looked at that way. Yeah, he had one good year with Detroit. I'm swiping left on this as well, because like you said, it probably would be a two-year deal. 
and I have a lefty coming up that I think will be I ready. The I don't year need after a two-year deal for a dude who's not going to pitch at all this year. I'd swipe right on this. I would be fine of with Matthew Boyd. Would. Of course, you put would. him on the sixty-day IL. He doesn't count against your roster next year. Give him a two-year deal worth like ten million dollars. I'm fine with that. Matthew Boyd would be a good signing for them. Man, the, the wallet must be open. Someone's in for mediocrity again. Well, look at the options that we've got available to us, buddy. Hey, there's one on here that I am very excited about. How about Robert Gesellman? I think it's just Selman. I think it's Gesellman. I'm pretty sure. I saw. I looked up the pronunciation last <laughs> night to make sure on this. Uh, he is a righty pitcher. He has had basically every role. He's been a starter. He's been a reliever. He's been an opener. He's done everything you can ask. He had a 3.8 ERA last year out of the bullpen for the Mets. He's a sinker baller. Uh, he did miss a lot of the, the year with a torn lat, but he's expected to be back. This is not somebody that you would sign for 2023, Alex. Good Lord. Robert Gesellman, could I interest you in him as a potential option out of your bullpen? Maybe a swing man for you. Nah, he reminds okay. me He's a John Gant, in my opinion. I don't need another John Gant. I mean, there's a lot of truth to Although that. He's got he is... solid flow. Solid flow with his Great hair. Great hair. Great hair. Looks very much BK like Jesus. Jealous. Are, you, are you saying he'd be the Jesus to this team? He, he does look a lot like John Gant before he got his haircut. There's a lot of truth to that. Solid flow. Tanner, Robert Gesellman. Eh, I think I'll swipe left. Okay, cool. Moving cool. to the next one. I think I'm swiping left as well. Daniel Vogelbach. We know this guy. Oh, the big hoss. Left-handed power bat. He can basically only DH for you. He's not a good fielder in can anywhere. Pinch run him. You cannot play him against left-handed pitching. He does not know how to hit lefties. Like, it's it's unacceptable the way that he hits lefties. But he had 250 last year with a 790 OPS against right-handed pitching. That'd be solid. I saw how far he hit the ball, ball off of Reyes. That's right. Daniel Vogelbach. Could I interest oh. you in him? No. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna back away from this signing. Huh? 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 I didn't huh? get it. I didn't, did I miss something? Vogel back. I'm gonna back oh. away from this signing. God, I get it now, on, man. I would swipe right on this. I, I, if you're not gonna have Gorman up to be the platoon to Yepes, this guy seems like the perfect guy. Bring him in one year, like probably one mil, not even that. And nope. if when you're ready for Gorman and if he's not hitting, see ya. Go one more down. I'm left on this because I'm swiping right on the next one. Amen. How about Colin Moran? Left-handed bat, played for the Pirates. He could easily play either of your corner infield spots. He could fill in at DH if you need him to. I think he could play a corner outfield if you need him to as well. Probably. Probably be not great, but. It would be probably pretty similar to what you saw last year out of Jose Rondon mm-hmm. when he was out there. Not ideal, but he could probably do it. He hit 290, 790 OPS last year against right-handed pitching. He's got a little pop coming off of the left side as well. If there were one bench bat that's in this type of a market that I could sign, left-handed power bat, Colin Moran would probably be the one that I would swipe right on. I've always liked Colin Moran. He always seems to have success against the Cardinals. He's got some bang to his style. And on top of it, I mean, you're looking at a guy who could fill a lot of voids for you. Corner outfield spots, maybe a corner uh, infield. Corner infield, maybe a corner outfield. I'm swiping right on Colin Moran. Just a swipe right. Guys, this is a super swipe. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. Oh, my go. gosh. He would be fantastic here. In One St. more Louis. and I'll super He's swipe. He's familiar with the NL Central. I think that's a plus. Left-handed, has some pop. Really good against right-handed pitching. Yeah, sign me up. This La- is a super swipe. Last one, another former pirate, Richard Rodriguez, who eventually was down with Atlanta. Now, uh, a little bit of a disclaimer, because if you're thinking of Richard Rodriguez, the guy that pitched for the Pirates, you're like, whoa, how did that guy get DFA'd? Well, remember that sticky stuff that was around in baseball last year that they got rid of? I, oh, he's a cheater? I'm not sure if he was or not, but his numbers Allegedly? went way down after they decided to start cutting down on that sort of stuff. 
He was traded to the Braves midseason, had a decent amount of success. The underlying numbers were awful, though. He was getting hit super hard. He struck out nobody. He was walking a few more batters. Um, a severe fly ball pitcher, a lot of home runs that he gives up when things are going poorly for him. But maybe it could succeed here at Bush Stadium where it suppresses home run balls. Richard Rodriguez is a pitcher that I've always really liked. Alex, you swipe right I'm or left on Richard Rodriguez. <laughs> I like Richard Rodriguez. I liked him with the Pirates. I didn't know about the sticky stuff, but you know what? I'm going to overlook that because I think this guy would be a good match for this Cardinals bullpen. You don't need to use him in a high leverage spot either. You could use him in multiple situations. Yeah, I'm super swiping on Rodriguez. This feels like the next Luis Garcia. The guy that was DFA'd, that was somebody else's trash that could be your treasure. You find a couple of things to tweak with him. I, oh, I'm in on trash, this. Dude. I, I'm in on Richard you Rodriguez. Swipe I'm right on right. trash? Trash? <laughs> I mean, last year they swiped right on Wade LeBlanc and John that Lester really and Jay Happ. <laughs> trash. TJ McFarland and Luis harsh. Garcia, and that put them back on track. Trash. I think I would swipe left. You know why? Because that trash you're talking about, I would just bring back Luis Garcia rather than He's trying to find the next more. one. He was really good here. So will and Richard, Richard Rodriguez. Rodriguez. He got hammered in Atlanta. Swipe That's left fine. for me. Everyone got hammered we, in Atlanta. We don't know what he was doing. He won the, the World field. Series. Colin Moran, Richard Rodriguez. Those are the two that I would add if I could add anybody from this list. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Again. In Damn 15 it. minutes or so, we'll get into some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for your questions. Coming up next, Terry Collins, former Mets manager, tells us what we should know about Stephen Matz, the newest Cardinals edition. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. So the Cardinals' big move so far this offseason was signing Steven Matz to a four-year deal worth $44 million. Cool. That's probably going to be their only move of significance until we get things back on track. Maybe February, March, we'll see on that. But right now, we're talking about Steven Matz with his former manager, Terry Collins, the former manager of the Mets, joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Terry, we always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us this morning. How you doing, my friend? Yeah. I'm doing I'm doing great, guys. Thank you. Happy holidays to y'all. Absolutely, and same to you. So we wanted to have you on to get a little insight into uh, what kind of pitcher the Cardinals can expect to have with Steven Matz now into the fold. You were his manager from 2015 to 2017. Uh, what can you tell us about Steven Matz, the pitcher, and the person that you knew? Well, if we can start out real easy as a person, he's one of the best people you'll ever be around. He's a great family man. He's got great family in New York. You know, he's from New York, so... Uh, when we first called him up, I mean, he showed signs of, of being one of the real good pitchers in the game. He's got, he has a good fastball, you know, he's 93 to 96 and a great curveball, good change up. He developed a slider. Um, and, and one of the things obviously you got to learn as you, as you go through is that's how to locate your pitches. And I think Steven's gotten better and better at it. He's never been a guy who walks people, but uh, there's been times where a lot of times he, he throws a ton of strikes and, and if, if he misses his location, you know, he, he's given up some home runs. But I'll tell you one thing. If you're a pitcher, you better want to pitch in St. Louis. They catch the baseball, and it's a great ballpark to pitch in. That's where I was going to go next, Terry, because, of course, Stephen Matt signs with a team that has five gold glovers behind him and had a decent season last year with the Toronto Blue Jays. But I would imagine you're looking at a guy who might see the best of his career playing with his defense behind him. Well, that you know, there's no question about it. Steven's never been a huge strikeout guy. Uh, so he, and again, like I said, he throws strikes. So you're going to put the ball in play, and you know, and when you've got that, the Cardinals behind you to catch the ball the way they do, 
your chances of success certainly go up. Terry, when you look at a guy like Steven Matz, I mean, in his career, he, his career high is 160 innings pitched. But as we're talking about what the defense that's behind him, it makes me wonder if maybe he can be more of an innings eater for the Cardinals than what he's been so far in his career. Do you think he has the potential to be a 180 to 200 inning pitcher? Well, you know, in the past, he's had, he has had injury issues. I mean, he's had, he had a shoulder issue. He's had a little, he's had an elbow issue at times. Um, you know, he's, God, he's a, really works hard. He's in absolutely great shape. Uh, and, and, you know, so I, I think that right now you might be looking at a guy who realizes what he's got to do to stay healthy and to stay on the mound. But, you know, you guys know the game today. You're watching it. And, you know, how many how many pitchers today go 200 innings anymore? And I think Steven's certainly a guy who's capable of, of being that, you know, eat, eat some innings, get you into the seventh, eighth innings. But, you know, with, with the analytics taking over the game the way they are, certainly – uh, we saw it this past year in St. Louis. I'm not sure what happened to Mike Schilt, but you know, analytics got in the way of something, and uh, you know, so I don't. I'm not really sure, you know, anymore how many innings you know some of these young pitchers are going to have. Well, and that's the part that I'm curious with Stephen Matz because Terry, the Cardinals already have one pitcher who who likes to argue to stay on the mound if he's feeling good, and that's Adam Wainwright. Is Stephen Matz one of those guys that will push to make his case of staying on the mound if he feels right? Well, I, I think he is. He's not, you know, he's not. He's not going to get in a lot of arguments with the manager. But I will tell you, being around Adam Wainwright is going to help Stephen Matthew immensely, immensely. You know, when he first came up with the Mets, you know, we had a young pitching staff. You know, we had Harvey and Degrom and Syndergaard and Stephen Matt. And but the one guy, you know, that certainly you turn to are those veteran guys. And and you know, and I think Stephen probably learned a little bit from watching Bartolo pitch. But he's going to learn a lot from Adam Wainwright. We're talking to Steven, or excuse me, Terry Collins, former Mets manager here on 101 ESPN. He was the manager of the Mets from 2015 to 2017 when Steven Matz was with them. Uh, Terry, kind of changing gears a little bit to what lies ahead for baseball as a whole. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. As of tonight at midnight, your time, uh, baseball could be going into a lockout. As a manager in a period like this, what is this time going to be like, do you think, for these guys when they, they can't really have contact with their players and you're just you're hoping that at some point before February or early March, you're able to get back onto the field? What's this time like for managers around baseball? Yeah, well, yeah, it can be a little nerve wracking, you know, when you think that, you know, it may affect, you know, going into camp. But, you know, this is the offseason and certainly a lot of guys really needed some time off and where. You know, you're looking at the guys, the teams that played in October, you know, they need November, December off. So a lockout's really not going to affect the number of them until you start looking at January to where you want your coaches to make contact with your players. They start to come up with a program to get them ready for spring training. That's when it's going to start to affect them. So if this lockout goes into, into January, I think there'll be a lot of managers. And certainly, like you guys, who've got a first-year manager, you know, he's going he's gonna to be a little anxious at that time. What's that like, Terry? Because if I'm not mistaken, you were you were in Major League Baseball the last time that the work stoppage took place in the early 90s. Uh, how difficult is that from a uh, baseball coaching perspective of, you know, ramping things up and sitting with uncertainty in an offseason? Yeah, well, back in 1994 when that, you know, when that strike hit, that was an awful time. That was an awful time to be a manager. I had a lot of conversations with, you know, some of the veteran managers in the league, Sparky Anderson, Jim Leland, Tommy Lasorda, you know, and everybody had a different perspective on things, but you know, that was the players went on, you know, certainly there was, they went on strike and, and we were really having a good year. And during that winter time, 
you know, we had to, our, our ownership group moved a lot of our players. And so I wasn't sure what I was going to face when camp opened. And obviously, you know, the first camp that we had, uh, you know, you were filled with replacement players and it was really a really difficult time for to be a manager and a coach. But, you know, when that, when that strike ended, it took a little time to, you know, mend those fences because, you know, the players were really, really upset at the time. And today, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think due to the money that's being paid today and the money that's out there, I think the cha- some of the changes that are going to be made to, to benefit both sides, I, I think it's time. I think it's time. Every, we, know, we know the game is changing, and I think it's time. I think it's time to have the DH. I think it's time to, if a player is ready to play in the big leagues, let him play in the big leagues. I don't care if he's got one year in the minor leagues or whatever it is. The fans pay the freight, and the fans want to see the best players play. Terry, final question that I've got for you. We'll get you out of here on this. You were able to see the Cardinals play towards the the middle of that winning streak out in New York. How, how do you feel about this team, the way that it's come together? The, the only real big addition that they've made so far to the team that you watched was Steven Matz. How do you think they fit into this NL as we're watching it right now? Well, I, certainly I really like the Cardinals. I always have. You know, I think they got a great organization. And I said this, I, I've said this on your show before. They play the game the way it's supposed to be played. You know what? They take what you give them. If you if you want to shift on the St. Louis Cardinals, they're going to get to take a single the other way. They, that's just they just know how to win games. They know how to beat you. And I think you know the addition of Stephen Matz obviously is a quality starting pitcher. And this game is about pitching. And I think Adam's going to help him. I think the Cardinals are certainly in their in that division. They're going to be a, a, the team to beat this year. Terry, we appreciate the time as always. Have a happy holidays, and we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, guys. Happy holidays. Thanks, Terry. That's Terry Collins, former Mets manager, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Do you agree with his assessment? As of today, if we were to just end the offseason today, the Cardinals team to beat in the NL Central in your mind? Yeah. I I do because I don't think the Brewers can replicate what they did last year on the pitching staff side. And I think if there's a team that has a pitching staff that can do what the Brewers did, it would be the Cardinals with the addition of Steven Matz. I think right now it's a coin flip. On paper, because I God, agree. what a pessimist God, today, man. Why do you hate not the, in Cardinals, on the Cardinals? Dude. Not in on the hey, Blues. What a hate. At least I didn't predict the Blues weren't going to make yeah, the Stanley Cup. Can you believe this guy said that Minnesota was going to win the Cup? Wasn't me, but I think me? On, I. No, wrong one. Come on, man. But I Muppets song. Dang it! I think on paper, unbelievable. I think on paper that they are equal because I agree with you. I expect the rotation to take a step back in Milwaukee, but I don't want to project that i want to look on paper and compare the two and right now it's a coin flip i still might give the edge to milwaukee because they're very similar this year cardinals are pretty similar it did add that one starter right now i mean you still give the edge to milwaukee on paper so as of today i think that the cardinals are the favorite in my mind to win the nl central vegas and over on the FanDuel sportsbook you can check out these odds vegas has the dodgers as the favorite in the national league just going based on their world series odds the dodgers are six to one the favorite in all of baseball the mets are 11 to one right now That's the braves joke. are 14 to one along with the padres the brewers are 16 to one the brewers are favored in front of the cardinals cardinals as of 18 today. or 20 to one cardinals are 18 to one how about this the san francisco giants who were the best team in the National League the regular season last year and are more or less bringing back the band other than Buster Posey. 22 to 1 odds to win the World Series next year. I think it should be lower than that. I Oh, like you're out on the Giants? Oh yeah. I am too. They lost they lost Gossman, Wood, Posey Wood's retires. Back. Wood's back. Oh, I'm Wood's sorry. Back Wood's and back. They, they're bringing in uh Cobb. You're thinking of Cueto. Cueto's they gone. still have Cueto. Oh, where he's gone? I think he's on the market, right? He's yeah. a free agent. Might be an angel. 
Is he an angel? That would actually make a lot of sense for the Angels. <laughs> I'm out on the Giants. I, I am too, because I think that they make a big his- move. If they bring back Chris Bryant, I think I would buy a little bit more into them. But uh, losing Gossman, I think that's a big loss. And losing Posey, I mean, that's everything for that's that team. huge. That's everything. That's like the Cardinals losing, well, I guess. It's like the Cardinals losing Yachty. I think it's like them losing Goldie. That's probably more close offensively. I agree with you. Probably cat that catcher position. I understand. Yeah, I think from. it would affect the pitching side more, but I think yeah. Posey's affecting more of the offense. So yeah, yeah, you're right with Goldie. And I think they're pitching. Uh, it's going to be hard to kind of. I was going to say Bader, but it's going <laughs> to a little different. <laughs> it's going to be hard to me, in my opinion, that that pitching staff is going to be because like they had a bunch of guys that came in that had subpar careers, and then all of a sudden they were all really good for a year. It, that's going to be very hard to replicate. So I kind of agree with those numbers. I hear you, but. I- at twenty-two to one, I think it's easy, it's decent odds. I actually really like the Phillies at forty to one. That seems outlandishly long. What's Miami's odds? Miami is sixty to one to win I, the World Series. I like next those year. odds. What's Seattle's? I texted you last night. Seattle's having a quiet, good offseason. Yeah, I don't understand if why. If they sign Chris Bryant <laughs> or Trevor Story, that's a hell of an offseason. Yeah, but they haven't. If the Cardinals sign Carlos Correa, oh, well, they have a great I'm putting all the money on that then. Uh, the Mariners are 28-1 to 1 to win the World okay. Series. I like the Phillies better. I'd put 60-1 to 1 down right now. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> what are the Pirates? They the got su- 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 <laughs> to 1. The Pirates oh, and the <laughs> Orioles are both 500-1 to 1 to win the World Series. <laughs> the Orioles have like a $35 million payroll right now. Uh, the Texas Rangers are 75 to 1. They signed two of the best players on the open market. To our 75 to 1 to win the World that, Series. I think that makes a lot of sense. It's fair. The A's, who are seemingly wanting to sit, sell everybody off, are 70 to 1, and the Rangers are worse than them right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line. Questions and answers is next. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for questions and answers. I'm going to bring our off-air conversation onto the air if you guys don't, are cool with that. Don't, dude. So, I yes. said that. I said that in privacy. So my fiance just texted me and we, we were figuring out all of the last minute details for our wedding of course uh 65780 if you would like to weigh in on this we had already come up with our songs for the ceremony and the pre-ceremony and all that stuff playing on the piano and the organ we've got all of that stuff pre-planned right you're gonna play piano can you play me oh no, god no we have somebody else that BK, will be doing if you that sit for down us. and play the piano at your wedding i will be thoroughly <laughs> impressed i will give you a standing so o. would i maybe i can learn in the in the next 10 days i'm sure it'll be great doubtful so we we were going with Love's True Kiss, which is from Enchanted, as one of the I think three pre-ceremony songs. She asked if we should switch to a whole new world. Is it cheesy to do like a well-known Disney song as a pre-ceremony song well, let me for the be, wedding? Let me first. I say, say this. no. By the way, I think we should do a lo- Love's True Kiss. Let's let me first say this: nothing that your future wife suggests is ever cheesy, and yeah, ever I will would never be cheesy. suggest as much. I'm asking you guys. No, well, I'm telling you that I personally think that nothing a uh, future wife has to suggest is ever cheesy. Okay, but I will say that a whole new world. I think that might that not the mi- vibe we're looking for. That, that, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. That might turn people's attention away from the actual wedding. Well, the wedding wouldn't be taking place yet. It's while people are sitting down. Oh well, nobody cares about that music. <laughs> okay, yes. Well, Sorry I for care. wasting your. No, nobody cares about that music. Like when I hear this song coming on, 
I'm going to be singing while BK is like coming out. Saying this with my daughter the other night. Yeah, you and me will be singing while yes. we're waiting for the You and me are not a conversation that will be had oh. at the wedding. So we have multiple texts from the 314. <laughs> whatever your wife wants is the right answer. From the 636, just do whatever she wants, dude. So here's the thing. It's my wedding too. No. Don't say that. No. That doesn't work. You can't just go along with whatever. I've learned this the hard way. You also have to have input, but not too much input, just the right amount of input. It's a very fine line to walk in wedding planning, Alex. Oh, my God. Yeah, because you can't say whatever you want because then you're not putting too much effort into it. But if you give your opinion on something, it's, well, I don't like that. And then it's like you're at a loss. So the way I used to do it was I would find out what she wanted to do. I would give my opinion and say, well, I think this would be good. But I love your idea. Because then you're giving input, but you're telling her that her idea is great. See, but then that goes poorly depending on the situation. Huh? He's such a pro. I he gets it. I think you should have Lou Bega's Mambo Number no. Five play when people <laughs> That's walk what we in. Do? What? Two, three, three four, four, five. five. Everybody Does Tanner in the know house, this song? Come on what are the odds that Tanner knows this song? Lick a stuff. What? That sounds. What do you mean zero rider? <laughs> <laughs> sounds that one sounds familiar. familiar yeah. Okay. <laughs> BK should dress up as Ariel for his wedding. If every one of the groomsmen came out in a di- different Disney princess attire, man, what a wedding that would be. So. Uh, when we were first starting our wedding planning, one of the one of the questions that was asked How was out under the sea. <laughs> oh, I do love that song. BK, if that is the song, I'm telling you, you will hear me singing when you come out in a Jamaican accent, too. Yeah. I, there are other Disney songs that will be pre-ceremony. Um, How about Circle of Life? I think that's one of them, actually. Let's go. <laughs> um, should bring my daughter to this wedding. One of the questions that was asked was, how do I feel about the, the Disney ears thing? You know, the Mickey ears. Yeah, the Mickey ears. Mm-hmm. Wait, are you, wearing are you guys those? wearing them? wearing those for uh, like the pre ceremony stuff? No, the answer was, yeah, yeah, no, that is there are very few things that I will say, like I'm legitimately look, vetoing. That was vetoed. Look, my wife and your future wife are very similar. They both are, are obsessed with Disney. They love everything about yeah. Disney. And when we were doing the wedding process, my, my wife, Katie, she wanted to do a lot of Disney kind of things at the wedding reception and i told her i was like man i, I don't want that because i think it, yeah. i think other people are going to view it as oh these guys are too into disney cheesy or whatever now my wife did a phenomenal job of like tasteful disney inputs throughout the wedding that you see didn't how did know that, tanner see how i did that no, she did <laughs> so so our cake topper was disney themed which i thought was cool her shoes were like um like like cinderella themed heels which i thought was really cool and they had little disney things throughout it which i thought was awesome you can't have a disney themed wedding but you can have little spurts of disney taste yeah, that's it. what this is like that's the the, the song that's pre-ceremony go ahead i don't care that's oh yeah that's cool. uh, the smash mouth song from shrek you could have that that's a I good like one that song. that's, that's a, a good song. idea that right, that's that's one. uh so we were supposed to do questions and answers here 65780 is your comfort service text line for questions and answers we'll do this one quickly from the 314 do you think you could trade scandala and a picker tour two for a top four d man alex no okay unfortunately look one, Marco Scandella is not going to bring you back a top four defenseman. Marco Scandella and a first round pick aren't going to bring you back a top four defenseman. You got to trade something to somebody that they want. And on top of it, $3 million isn't going to offset another team's $6 million for a top four defenseman. So, no, I think if you want a top four D-man, I think you're going to have to trade a Vladimir Tarasenko and probably some draft picks with it. The one I do think is interesting, though, and I'm sure you guys saw this, 
Jake DeBrusque's name has been brought up in trade rumors he wants out of Boston. He's been tied to the Blues. Elliot Friedman had it in his 32 Thoughts uh, blog the other day. I don't know if you need another left hand, a left winger because you have a lot of forwards right now. But Could always use a little more. But DeBrusque makes three and a half mil for this year, and then he's an RFA. Scandella makes three and a half mil for the next three years. I wonder if you consider it. I'm in. Yeah, let's do it. Bring in a, a guy who's one, two guys that could use a change of scenery. And you right bring now. in a guy who's scored 25 goals in a season before. A guy who is familiar with Tory Krug, who's familiar with the Blues. Something to consider. The only problem is you're probably going to have to attach an asset. I don't think that the well, I, if he wants out, he's going to want to get rid of something. Maybe, but they're adding two more years of, of three million dollars on a D man that yeah. you don't know if they want him or not. So well, you're probably either going to have to pay down some of Scandella's salary or attach a draft pick or something to that to be able to get it. And, but and look, I think it makes sense. Like it or not, Marco Scandella played an important role last night for the Blues. I, I mean, he played about 17 minutes of ice time, and I mean, he was a plus two in the hockey game for you. He so you're that much. Last yeah, night? You, wow. you, you're trading away a Marco Scandella. You're trading away somebody. Would you rather have Scandella? Scandella on the ice or Jake Wallman on the ice? I mean, Scandella, but... And that's where I'm at right now. If you're going to go on a cup run, Marco Scandella might be important for you. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. another guy that's going to be important, vital even to the Blues if they're going to make a cup run, is the new guy that I would call the engine of the offense. I'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. Right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. He's been good. Wherever we used him this year, he's uh, responded. He's done a real good job. Uh, you know, he's playing real good hockey, playing 200 feet and. You know, I've had Barbie in the minors. He scored 30 goals. I mean, he's, he can put the puck in the net. That was Craig Berube after last night's game talking about Ivan Barbashev, who <clears throat> get emotional thinking about it. You love in him? my opinion, he's become the engine for this Blues team, Alex. In the past, they've talked about how Oscar Sundquist was that guy. And Oscar Sundquist is still working his way back from the knee injury, the hip surgeries that he had in the offseason. He, he's been good for the Blues. Don't get me wrong. I think right now, if there's anybody that I can say that about, though, and of course you could mention that about Ryan O'Reilly, that's always the case as well, but typically that's reserved for somebody that's kind of the underrated, unsung hero of the team. I think Ivan Barbashev has become that player. He plays up and down the lineup the way that Sonny used to. Only Saad Booch and Kairou have more goals than him this season, which is a little surprising. He leads all of your forwards right now in penalty kill time. Only Thomas Tarasenko and Kairou have more even strength ice time so far this year than Ivan Barbashev. This guy has been a great player for the Blues so far this year. And if there's anybody that's been that quote-unquote engine the way that Sonny was... I think it's Ivan Barbashev right now. It is totally Ivan Barbashev right now. And I texted you guys last night that this is this is a steal that I think people should be talking more about because Ivan Barbashev makes two and a half million dollars this year and next year. And this is a guy who could legitimately score you 20 or more goals this season because the Blues are putting him in a different role. He's no longer a fourth-line guy for them now. They have fourth-line guys. Clem Costin, Tyler Bozak, Dakota Joshua, Logan Brown. Ivan Barbashev this season has been a guy who's been playing in big-time moments. He's getting power play time. He's playing the penalty kill like he usually does. But late in games, his line is out there down, up, or tied. 
That's an important thing to take away from this one. And he's got right now a three-game point streak, and in those three games, he has scored four goals. Like, this is important to look at right now. Here's a list of some guys that Ivan Barbashev has more goals than this season. Logan Couture, Nazem Kadri, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Vladimir Tarasenko, Jonathan Huberdeau, Braden Point, Connor Garland. Wow. Kirill Kaprizov from the Minnesota Wild. The guy who just got paid, what, $9 million for the next six years? You have a guy who's making $2.5 million who is providing something that other teams don't have. They don't have players that play a third or fourth line role that can play on your first line and be successful with it. So I think if this team's going to go on a run, if this team is going to make themselves a Stanley Cup contender, it comes down to the fact that you have two guys in Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev who both are making less than $3 million. Yeah, somebody on the text line, 65780, is the air comfort service text line to get involved in this show. Somebody says, look at what he did during the cup run. He was an important piece during that as well. He was. He was an important piece, but... I mean, in that run, he in he was a 25 games, he had six points. So far this season, over the course of, what has it been, 22 games to start out the year, he's already up to 14 points. He has eight goals. Mm-hmm. He has more goals this year than he did points in the 2019 postseason. And look in at those goals. Games he's got year. two power play goals. I believe he has a shorthanded yep. goal. And then you're talking about three or uh, five even strength goals. He's been outstanding. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. I think what you're really talking about there is value, right? If you're looking for, I'm not saying most valuable player in terms of like the MVP, but most valuable player in terms of what they're producing relative to what you're paying them to do. Ivan Barbashev really might be the quote-unquote most valuable player for the Blues this year. You would have him in the same conversation as Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. All three of those guys are in that same category right now for them with what they're producing. it's, It's remarkable. And for a coach like Craig Berube, you need players like Ivan Barbashev. This is the type of guy that if you need some energy on that top line left wing, you can put Barbie up there. Mm -hmm. If you need that identity line, Barbie can play on that line for you. If you need somebody, if you've got everybody healthy and you're like, you know what, we we need to get this other guy going. We're going to bump him up. Barbie will play the fourth line for you. Now, I think that's a waste of his his production. You, you can get more out of him by not having him on the fourth line, but he will fit whatever role you need out of him. You need a grinder, he'll do that. Puck possession, he's got that. You need somebody to go out there and make some big hits, he's more than happy to do that for you. He can stand in front of the net and put the net, the, the puck in the back of the net. He has become a really well-rounded player. And I got to give you credit, Alex. You talked all, really, 18 months ago, probably, when we were starting the early portions of what's this protected list going to look like? There were very few people that I heard early on in that process saying, Barbashev's got to be on that list. You were one of them. Mm -hmm. And you said, listen, he's too valuable to what this team does to just allow him to go for nothing. You, You need to keep that guy on this team, even if it means exposing players that others view as being better for the Blues. Barbashev's value is more than just what the point totals are. That was true then, and now the point totals are starting to follow what that value was elsewhere that he brought. Yeah, look, the way that I viewed it was Ivan Barbashev was more important for this team than Jaden Schwartz's future. And that's saying something. Jaden Schwartz's was an integral part, integral part of t- this team. Did I pronounce that incorrect? Integ- <laughs> in- integral? Yeah, you that's got not, it. It's not a word that I use a lot in my vocabulary. You just made that word up. <laughs> no, probably. But look, I mean, Ivan Barbashev is important. Jaden Schwartz was important. But Ivan Barbashev, for what he costs you and what he provides, 
teams don't have guys like this. And you had to protect him. You had to protect Oscar Sundquist. You need guys that do the job and do it the right way. And for the longest time, these are this is why the super teams don't win the Stanley Cup. This is why the Toronto Maple Leafs don't win the Stanley Cup. Because they pay $13 million to guys that are superstars, but they don't have those third and fourth line guys that can fill voids that they need. This is why Tampa Bay, for the longest time, couldn't win the Stanley Cup. Until they found guys that can play roles for the team like a Pat Maroon who fills in and brings energy to a hockey team. So for what the Blues have in Ivan Barbashev, that's why you had to protect him. That's why he has to be on this team. And frankly, if you want to be a cup contender, you can't survive without an Ivan Barbashev or Oscar Sundquist. And props to Doug Armstrong for getting him locked up to the deal that they did because other teams right now would probably be paying him 4 or $5 million to play on their team. Absolutely. And by the way, I also think Barbashev is a big part of why Vladimir Tarasenko is having the season that he is. I mean, a lot of credit has to go to Vladdy for getting himself right. Physically, he's in the right place. Mentally, he looks like he's having fun. Uh, Craig Berube mentioned that after the game the other night. Vladdy just looks like a different guy this year in every possible way. I think part of that is guys like Ivan Barbashev and Pavel Buchnevich just making him feel comfortable again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that sometimes I, I've heard Jamie talk about this. Like He was over in Russia and they didn't speak his native language and that can be really tough. And when Vladdy, Buchnevich, Barbashev are all together, they can all speak Russian together. They talked about that on the broadcast last night over on ESPN. Emily Kaplan was saying how uh, those three guys, that whenever they go out to dinner together, they can just they can speak Russian. And Clem Costin, too, is why he feels comfortable this season. Yeah, I, I do think that stuff matters. And 100%. we sometimes overlook it a little bit. But a guy like Barbashev, he just, there are a million different things that he's able to do both on and off of the ice for the Blues this year. It's gone a little under the radar, and it shouldn't anymore. He's been, I know I called it the MVP. Let's phrase it a little differently because because that's always probably going to be Ryan O'Reilly. He's been the best bang for your buck player, or he's been in at he's least in the top three bang for your buck players yeah. for the Blues so far this There's year. There's a difference in how you view MVPs. Like, yes, Ryan O'Reilly is an MVP. Jordan Bennington is an MVP for this team. But there's a there's a most valuable, underappreciated player. And sure. I think every team has somebody like that. And you got a guy who's got more goals than other players who are making eight, nine million dollars a year. That's how important Ivan Barbashev is. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Under what scenario would Trevor Story's market come back to the Cardinals? We're probably talking about this two, three months away, but if his market ends up not being what he expected it to be, how far does that have to fall back for the Cardinals to realistically be in that scenario? We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes or so. The voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, joins us to continue this conversation coming up next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. to happen for Trevor Story to be a Cardinal. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. You have to sign a contract. That would be the first step. That would be the Cardinals like would have the to fifth call step. him, actually. There's a lot of steps that would have to take place between now and then. The Fastlane had this conversation yesterday, and I wanted to bring it to us as well because I thought it was really interesting the way that BT and Anthony Stalter were able to frame this. Here's what they had to say about what would have to happen, and I want to ask you what you think would have to happen coming up here after this audio. What do you think bothers the Cardinals? The money. So 100% not, the what money. About the, what about the length? Because I think the length would bother length oh, of the contract. With the length. Length of the contract. 
I think that would bother them more more than the money. Well, like if it's a four year deal for a hundred, you're jumping in on that. That's twenty five million dollars a year, though. Yeah. Right? It still puts them in an uncomfortable sure territory deal. after they've. That's not a short deal. No, four year, hundred mil. It, he falls to you for a two year deal or a one year, and you prove it, and you spend him a lot, you know, give him a lot of money. Say, hey, can you do this out of Coors Field? Which we know he can do it out of Coors Field. Then maybe that works. I, I just, I don't see. But can the Cardinals see the fit in the payroll? Do you feel that way about, A, it's not just the length of the contract, but also the value of the contract on a per-year basis? And, B, if that is, if those are both issues for them, is there anything that can realistically happen for the Cardinals to get in on not just Trevor Story, but really anybody that's at the top of this market? Yeah, right I don't think it has anything to do with the length of contract, and I think it has everything to do with how much they're paying. Uh, and and that's why when we when you and I were sold on Carlos Correa yesterday, I don't understand why I'm that insane thinking that it's truly possible. But I do believe it. But for Trevor Story, I, I think they would sign him to a five or six year contract as long as it's less than twenty million dollars per year. I think when it goes over twenty mil, and especially if the Cardinals front office believes that Trevor Story and Paul DeYoung are the same player. They're not paying him $25 million, even if it is a one-year deal. It's got to be less than 20 if the Cardinals are going to go out on a limb and get Trevor Story. Here's a question for you guys. Why do we want Trevor Story? I know we've talked about this like a few weeks ago. Because he's but best friends with Nolan Arenado. I, that's part of it, for sure. I, I do actually think that's part of the story. No pun intended. The story there. but <laughs> Pun intended. It, is it just because he's a shortstop and this is a big shortstop class? Is it the bat? Is it the defense? T- Tanner, if you had to say, like, why do you want Trevor Story? Of all the players that are still available out there, are there on the open market. And if we're talking about him, I mean, we're talking 20 plus million dollars per year. That, that's going to be the deal. Why do we want Story specifically? I, I think one is because it's not going to be as expensive as Carlos Correa and not as much length. It's probably going to be four to six years around the. $25 million, I would say, compared to Cray, who's going to get 10 by 300, which is about $30 million. So that's one reason. And the other for me is just because I believe he is better than Paul DeYoung. I do not look at Trevor Story and Paul DeYoung on the same stratosphere. I, I think Trevor Story is a – is his defense maybe worse? Maybe. But I'm willing to get away from that just a little bit if I have his bat that's going to provide an impact to the Cardinals lineup in which they haven't gotten any production in terms of offensive numbers from the shortstop spot from Paul DeYoung since 2019, the first half of 2019. So that's the two reasons why I look at it and say that's why I want Trevor Story. The reason why I ask is just because, like, if it's because of the bat, if we just want his power, his ability to hit in the Cardinals lineup, I think there's other places you can get that where, Alex, you, you mentioned if you can go under $20 million per year, maybe that's the way that you get this done. I think you can get other guys for under $20 million per year. Like Kyle Schwarber, what if he's $18 million on a four-year contract? I would love Kyle Schwarber on this team. I think he might be a better hitter than Trevor Story, especially in this lineup where you do need a left-handed player. Now, he's not a shortstop. And if that's the hang-up here, if we just want to see Paul DeYoung and Edmundo Sosa replaced with somebody that is better than them, okay, I, I totally get that. Maybe that's the answer to my, to my question. But if it's just because we want the bat and we want somebody that's going to be able to add offense to this lineup – I think Schwarber might be a better option. I think you could make a case for Nick Castellanos as being a better option uh, than Trevor Story. And honestly, I don't know how much worse the options are just purely offensively from a guy like a Jock Peterson. 
than than Trevor's story. That's different in my opinion because Jock Peterson's not going to be playing as much. Jock Peterson, I think, is going to be a guy that is a strictly platoon player. I love he's playing against righties, which is about seventy percent of the pitchers that you see. But I think for for what this offense needs, it's a guy who can hit both sides and is a offensive upgrade on a daily basis. That's why I would be fine if they signed Kyle Schwarber. That would be just as much of a winning offseason as it would be of them locking up Carlos Correa or Trevor Story. The reason that Trevor Story, I think Trevor Story's bat is intriguing for a lot of people, like you mentioned. Carlos Correa is different because the bat is intriguing, but he also is a better shortstop, and he's filling two voids that you're missing right now. I think with Trevor Story, he fills that void, but there's some concerns there. Whereas if you were to go with Kyle Schwarber, you're getting the bat, but then you trust the fact that Edmundo Sosa or Tommy Edmond or Paul DeYoung can give you the defense that you need at shortstop, and you're not concerned about the bat. That's why I think it comes down to Carlos Correa's number one. That's why Corey Seager was so high up there for a lot of people. But from there, for me, I would rather Kyle Schwarber or Nick Castellanos before Trevor Story. I think you can have three defense-first players in your lineup on a day-to-day basis, and this is like a non-scientific way to look at it, but that's kind of how I view it. I think Harrison Bader's one that you're expecting to be out there every day. He's defense-first. Anything that he gives you offensively is a plus. Yadier Molina is another. And if you end up with one of these other big bats, and they play DH for you, or they filter in at first, third, uh, outfields, wherever it ends up being that that particular player that you're adding uh, can cycle through at, I think that allows you to play one of those shortstops on an everyday basis. I think you can have Sosa or DeYoung, whichever one you decide to keep, as your everyday shortstop, maybe both of them, with adding one of those big bats. I think where it gets difficult is if you don't have one of those big bats available to you and you're playing one of those shortstops every day. I could understand if you're a Cardinals fan and you're saying to yourself, I'm not excited to watch that offense again because I've got questions at shortstop. I don't know who my DH is going to be, and I've got a bunch of young players on my bench. I don't know who of them I can trust. So as I look at things, the question that I asked coming into it, what would have to happen for the market to come back to Trevor Story to give my answer? I'm not sure that there's anything other than a one-year, $20 million deal that the Cardinals would be all that interested in signing him to. And the reason why I say that is because I just think that they would prioritize a guy like Kyle Schwarber or going to the very top of the market in Carlos Correa over signing a multi-year, 20-plus million dollar deal for a guy that I do think helps you. I think he makes you a better team in Trevor Story. But I've got real questions about the injuries that took place with him uh, last year. I've got questions about the fact that it seems like everybody else outside of us in this room views him as being maybe a second baseman, maybe a third baseman, maybe an outfielder, basically the next version of Chris Bryant uh, moving forward. They already have a guy like that in uh, in Tommy Yedman. I just think there's other options that might actually make more sense for the Cardinals. The, the other thing for me, too, and maybe this is maybe I'm viewing the DH role in the wrong here, but you can put anybody at a DH spot. And, and that's kind of my thinking is it's, it's a position to give guys at bats. And so for me, you never really have a hole at DH. Now, at shortstop, to me... The, what do you mean? In terms of, I look at the roster and I say, they don't have that on the roster. To me, you always have a DH because anybody can play there. It gives you a chance Who's to give young guys DH a DH. Right now? I'd say it's a platoon right now between Juan Yepes and probably Nolan Gore. What's I don't trust easier that. to upgrade for this team? I, Juan Yepes so I understand that. Nolan I understand Gorman. that it's easier for them to upgrade at DH, but the reason, the, the question that you presented me was... Why is that you like Trevor Story? To me, he fills a hole that I think is obvious, and that is at shortstop. And to me, the Cardinals have already tipped their hand in saying, we don't have that shortstop for the future. Remember, we keep getting the text of, Delvin Prez is that guy. 
Guys, they didn't Delvin protect Perez Delvin Perez on the 40-man roster. They're willing to let another team for the second straight year take him off the roster to play, get big league at-bats. They don't view him as that. And maybe they still do view DeYoung and Sosa as those guys. I don't. To me, that is a massive hole, and you're three, four years, two to three, maybe four years away before the quote-unquote next guy in Mason Wynn is ready. That's a hole. DH, I can kind of cycle through the Yepes, the Gorman. If it doesn't work out, then I can go at the deadline and get something. I'm not going to get a quality shortstop at the trade market this year more than likely. That's it's true. probably going to be via the free agency market. That's the third reason that I would add to why I like Trevor Story ahead of like someone like a Kyle Schwarber or a Jack Peterson that's going to come in and be the DH. To your point, I kind of plays devil's advocate to myself. It's way easier in any offseason or at any point in time where there's a deadline to add a DH that is a significant upgrade over whatever it is that you have at that spot than it is at shortstop. But part of that is just because there aren't a whole lot of good shortstops. You look around baseball, there's like 10 guys that are meaningfully important that play the shortstop position. If you don't have one of those guys, it's okay to just be average there, at least in my mind. And so that's why I look at what the Cardinals are right now. I think they're basically league average or slightly below at shortstop. I don't think that they're legitimately bad there. I don't have, I don't think they have a massive hole at the shortstop position. And so that's why for me, I look at it and I'm like, Hey, if you just want the bad, if you just want to improve the offense, like I think that's kind of where we're both at Alex, I'm okay with going with one of the uh, available bats that are out there. We're not going to get any of these See, answers I, for another two months. I view the shortstop position as a hole on a sinking ship. On a ship, you're basically trying to ride it out with. Because I think Paul DeYoung and Edmundo Sosa. Look, I love Sosa's glove. I think he's a hell of a defensive shortstop. I don't think you're going to see the same spark provided offensively. But if I get Kyle Schwarber, who's going to provide me that spark on a daily basis, I'm fine with Edmundo Sosa's defense and taking the chance of that bat being what it was last year. Because I know I'm upgrading my offense at the DH spot on a daily basis. I get that. I, I just think in terms of a position player, I want him being able to hit at a high level in a market. And maybe that's the other thing, too, for me is, there were five elite shortstops that are coming off of this market. Is are we really going to use the excuse of DeYoung and Sosa are our guys when we've got five better shortstops on the market? That's the part that's frustrating. That's yeah. the part that's frustrating to me. If you cannot sit here and tell a fan base that oh well we trust DeYoung's going to have a rebound and Sosa's going to replicate what he just did, we've seen two consecutive years of Paul DeYoung struggling. I don't know if I can trust the devil magic of the Cardinals in an Edmundo Sosa. And when there's five guys on the market that could change your roster. I don't buy that excuse. All fair. I would like them to upgrade the position. The more I look into some of the stuff with Trevor Story and the more we read about some of the questions that front offices have about the, about him, the more I think I'm kind of buying into some of those questions. And so if you're going to do that, forget going in on Trevor Story, forget the five years, $125 million where you're locked in on him. And if it goes poorly, it's going to go real poorly. If he signs with another team for five, six years, maybe he ends up getting the Javi Baez deal. That's going to be a potential cratering type of contract. If it does not go well for him with his next team, I don't know how it goes poorly for Carlos Correa. He's going to be a stud for the next five to seven years at a minimum for wherever he signs. If you're going to go into that market, if you're going to upgrade a shortstop, just go get the dude that's a sure thing, or at least the closest thing to a sure thing on this entire market, regardless of position. That's what I would do. 
They won't. But that's what I would do. With Alex Ferrario and Taylor Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Sometimes the best moves are the ones that you don't make. We'll get into that in about 10 minutes or so. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture. The real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. on the brakes, tries to get around Belmar. Centers to O'Reilly. He scores! And the Blues are on the board. Jordan Cairo created havoc. That's what it sounded like last night right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN as the Blues have now won back-to-back games for the first time in about a month with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. In 15 minutes, we'll play a game of more likely to happen. If you give us two scenarios, we will tell you which one is more likely. Alex, I wanted to return with that play-by-play because it was yet another example of Jordan Cairo making a play for the Blues. Last night, it was him with just uh, a beautiful pass over to Ryan O'Reilly, who's able to put the puck in the back of the neck. Sometimes they say the best moves are the ones you don't make. Have there been any players on the Blues that have been more discussed, maybe not internally w- within the team, but certainly externally for with people like us and fan base, more discussed in trade talks than Cairo, Thomas, and Tarasenko? Those would probably be your top three for the Blues, right? most talked about as trade candidates over the last couple of yeah, seasons. I would agree with that. Do you I know, think I'd agree with that too. Scandale, would you put Scandell in there? Be, no, I think that's a, talk pipe, about him, but that's a pipe dream for people to say you can trade him. I don't think there's anybody else that you sit here and say, oh yeah, you could trade this guy and get something great back other than those three. Do you know those three are the three leading point getters for the Blues so far this year? Yep. Jordan Cairo, 22 points this year. Robert Thomas, 20. Vladimir Tarasenko, 19. And those are the three guys we've talked the most about over the last few years when it comes to any sort of a trade conversation for getting a meaningful piece for the Blues. That's a pretty remarkable thing. I have legitimate questions coming into the season about Doug Armstrong's decision not to trade Vladimir Tarasenko before the year. I thought it was crazy that they were going to go into the season with this hanging over them as a team. It was clearly the right call, like clearly the right decision for them. I think there were times when we were all like, hey, uh, Thomas, is he going to become the player that you think he is? And if not, does it make sense for you to go out there and, and shop him for somebody that is a proven commodity, somebody that can fit more into your timeline? It was clearly the right thing to hold on to him. And Jordan Cairo, there were real questions early in his career about whether or not he was going to be able to hit. Last year, I remember talking with Jamie and you, Alex, and we were like, hey, this is this is the fork in the road season. Are you just going to be a guy that produced really well at the, the lower levels? Or are you going to be a real game-changing threat at the NHL level? He's become that now. For them to have these three players leading them in points, I think if ever there was a team that the saying, the best moves are the ones that you don't make applied to, it would be this one in the St. Louis Blues in 2021. Especially Thomas. Um, and, and I'm with you on Kairou. Look, Tarasenko is a different entity because he requested a trade. That's why people are talking about him. Absolutely. And he's had a phenomenal season, but if he wants out, he wants out. Maybe that changes. Who knows? But Thomas is the really interesting one because so many people were on it this offseason of, well, trade Thomas to Calgary and get Matthew Kachuk. And understandably so. Matthew Kachuk is an elite power forward in the National Hockey League. He would be a game changer on this team. Heck, Calgary is one of the top teams in the Western Conference because of Matthew Kachuk. But Robert Thomas 
he was also at a crossroads, but you also had to recognize that he was 22 years old. And as a 22-year-old centerman who has shown the potential of being a number one guy, who the head coach has said has elite potential of being a number one center, he's one of those guys that, yeah, you want to trade when there's this shiny new toy on the free on the market that you could trade for and say, ah, well, move on from this guy. And, you know, maybe he'll be a Tage Thompson and he'll pan out to not be the guy and you'll get a Kachuk in return. But watching what Thomas is doing this year, you're looking at a guy who could legitimately become a number one centerman. You're looking at a guy, and I know people are going to hate to hear this, but in terms of salary cap situation, you're looking at a guy who might make Ryan O'Reilly expendable. And I know I sound insane saying that right now because something O'Reilly's the we captain. need to start talking about. And it, I hate I, saying it. I, 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 I hate too. saying it too because Ryan O'Reilly is everything, and I don't think you can move on from Ryan O'Reilly. But if he comes back and asks for eight million dollars, guys, I hate to tell you this, but Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, after their two years are up, this bridge contract, they're going to be looking at getting paid. And if Thomas becomes a fifty assist player this season, which he has the possibility to do, if Cairo becomes a point per game player with thirty five goals, you can't afford to keep four eight million dollar forwards on your roster so moving on from robert thomas would have been a massive mistake and i think i don't believe doug armstrong ever considered trading away robert thomas nor did he consider trading away jordan Cairo because i believe they saw the potential in those two but robert thomas is going to be the one that i think a lot of blues fans are going to see five years from now and say damn i'm glad we didn't trade this kid when you talk about him replacing Robert Thomas, replacing Ryan O'Reilly, I think something that we need to clarify there, nobody is saying that he's going to be a better player or the same player as Ryan O'Reilly. Correct. What's important to talk about is the cap implications. Ryan O'Reilly, after this season, only has one year left on his contract. It's at seven and a half million dollars. After this season, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo both have one year left guaranteed on their contracts. Then they become restricted free agents. Once again, they're going to cost a lot of money. That's the type of spot where Calgary is about to be this next offseason with Matthew Kachuk. He's going to make a lot of money somewhere. You're going to be talking about a six plus million dollar contract for both Cairo and Thomas. How do you fit that in when you already have Shin, Buchnevich, both right around that $6 million range, Brandon Sod at $4.5 million, and oh, by the way, look at the back end where you've got Justin Falk at 6.5, Tory Krug at 6.5, Colton Pareko $6.5 million. Your goalie is now at $6 million well, per year, long-term for all of those and guys. And I hate to tell you, but you got two other guys who we spent some time talking about earlier, Ivan Barbashev and Oscar Sundquist, who will be up for new contracts that are going to cost more than $2 million per year. So it gets tough. It gets difficult to start making these kinds of decisions. And if you've got Ryan O'Reilly, who at that point in time will be 32 years old, he will be coming up on a deal in which he's probably going to be looking for another no movement clause. I I don't want to move on to Ryan O'Reilly. I would be in favor of them keeping Ryan O'Reilly because he's a stud. And last night I thought he was the difference maker for the blues, but if you're talking about making some tough decisions and you've got to say, okay, do we pay six and a half, seven million dollars to our 32 year old captain who is going to make an, have a no movement clause? Or do we give that to the 23 year old kid that we think projects to be like a close to point per game type of producer? I, I mean, I, I think that they would probably side towards the latter. It's very similar, Alex, to the conversation they just had a couple of years ago now, or a year and a half ago, I guess. With Pareko versus Petro. Yep. 
Who are you going to keep long-term? It, it almost came down to that type of a decision. They decided that they were going to build their back end around Colton Pareko. I think you could see something similar a couple of years from now. It's not in the near future. A couple of near, years from now with Robert Thomas. And you know, and, and we don't know. Ryan O'Reilly could look at this team and say, I want to be a part of a championship team, and maybe he commands less than what he's making right now. And if that's the case, well, that's a guy who's committing to a team and taking a, a hit on his salary because he wants to be a part of a winning culture. But don't overlook what they're doing with Robert Thomas. There's a reason he's playing 20 plus minutes a night. There's a reason he's on the power play, the penalty kill five on five overtime. They believe Robert Thomas is a future number one centerman. And if that's the case, you have to look at your cap. And this is the problem. This is how teams struggle in terms of keeping a Stanley cup window open. Look at the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, they're, they're seriously talking about, possibly having to trade away Jonathan Taves or Patrick Kane. They've already moved on from Duncan Keith because you bought into those players and you can't put more guys behind it. Forget the teams that won the cup. Look at the Avs. The the Avalanche have had pieces taken away from what they thought was going to be a Stanley Cup winning team because they had so much success offensively. I mean, we were talking about Gabriel Landeskog for a reason. They weren't sure they were going to be able to bring him back. They did. And then they lost their goalie as a result of that. Like they had to choose between those two things. And the Blues have done a pretty good job thus far of being able to keep most of the band together. Eventually, there will be pieces that have to be taken out of that. The significant top end pieces that have to be removed from the equation. I don't want it to happen. I'm rooting for this not to happen. But the more success that these young guys have that we've been talking so much about, Alex, the more it becomes a realistic conversation. It, and that I'm glad you brought that up, Alex, because I was just going to say when, when you were talking about that with the Blackhawks, I mean, look how quickly that just shut the, shut the door on them. I mean, mm-hmm. the moment they committed to them and they didn't get the young guys to develop, I mean, it was over. And mm-hmm. they had to go into the kind of the rebuild that didn't move on from Kane or Taze, but as you mentioned, they're looking at that now. The smart teams are able to avoid the rebuild for as long as possible. You're you're never going to be able to avoid it completely. You're going to have to enter at some point. The Blues have been lucky enough since... Uh, when was the last time they missed the playoffs? It was back it in... It was the year that they missed it by a point, so it was the year prior to them winning... Yeah, it was the year oh, prior okay. to so them I, winning I the I was cup. thinking a little further back. But they missed I that by about a that point. Year. Yeah, so like, I kind of They were still that. contending. Yeah. yeah. So You lost the last game of the season to Colorado. Year, to go back to 2011. Yeah, yeah. and that was so in the midst of the rebuild. A lot of teams aren't going to have this kind of a run, because at some point they're going to hand out the contract that they they're going to regret they're not going to they're going to pass on a young guy to try uh-huh. and build towards this contention contending window the blues have done a very good job of being able to lock up some of their best players also develop these young guys and let's be honest if you're Doug Armstrong as much as you do want to probably keep a Ryan O'Reilly it's probably better if you have a young guy force him out the door because of this situation because that may allow you to not have to circle through of okay I have to settle on giving this guy a big contract because we don't have a solution below them. And with that case, then you get closer towards the rebuild if things go south. You always have to transition. And when they went to the Western Conference Final and lost to the San Jose Sharks, that was the year that David Backus was an unrestricted free agent. And he opted to get that extra year with Boston. And in the process, the Blues said, okay, well, we need to fill the center position. They went out, they got Ryan O'Reilly. They went out, they traded for Braden Shen. They started to build that back up. If you want a good comp to what a Thomas or a Jordan Cairo are going to be looking at when this contract is up, Take a look at what the New Jersey Devils just did yesterday. They gave their number one centerman, who has played 120 games in the National Hockey League, and he has 55 points, has no playoff experience, was a minus 26 in his rookie year, but he's a first overall draft pick. They just paid him eight years at $8 million. I told you guys that a guy like Ivan Barbashev has got more points than a Kirill Kaprizov, who just got paid, what was it, $56 million in total? 
Thomas and Cairo, if they continue this trend upwards, are going to be looking at a long-term contract like that. And don't forget, in two years, the salary cap's going to start going back up in the NHL. So it's not going to be easy, but this is why Doug Armstrong has thrived with this team, because he has found ways to buy out a couple of years of those um, bridge contracts or those big years of of unrestricted free agency by locking guys up for a team-friendly deal. And if he can get that with Thomas and Cairo, you're talking about a steal of players. It's not hard to imagine them just replacing the salary slots of O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. You know, seven and a half million dollars at the top end of that uh, of that scale. That could very well be Thomas and Cairo two years from now. That that could be where they slot in. And then you see that $4 million slot where David Perron is currently. It's not hard to imagine that would be where one of Oscar Sundquist or Ivan Barbashev, somewhere around there, they might come in at. Um, I think Sonny's more likely than Barbie. Barbie probably gets more than that because yeah. of the way that he's been playing of late. Um, and then Sonny comes in at four, and now you're going to have to replace those guys in the, the mid-tier with somebody else. David maybe, Perron becomes expendable too, guys. I think that's something that we're going to probably have to end up talking about after the season. Because if Brandon Saad performs this way, I hate to say this because I love what David brings to this team, and when he's on, he is one of the better goal scorers in the NHL. But you got Brandon Saad for what David Perron is making right now, and I think you look at those two comps and you say, okay, well, we're going to have to spend that money elsewhere. Yeah, and then maybe you re-sign Sonny or Barbie for that money, mm-hmm. and that's that's how you make this thing work. It's it's a it's a cycle. All of these teams go through it. It's happening to the Blues right now, yep. um, and that's why this season they, they got to make good on this. You know, you're in. Uh, you're in this winning window. The Blues said they've got a five-year winning window. They're in what year three of it yeah. right now, and you, you gotta you gotta make sure that you take advantage of these whenever you have them open to you. And that's why last night's win was so significant because it felt like it was something that could portend more successes in the future. Get down early. You're able to come back from that. You had a really good uh, good performance last night out of the guys that. We have needed to see have a performance like that. Ryan O'Reilly was great, as we mentioned, and now you're hoping to continue it. They've got a game tomorrow night at Tampa Bay on the road. They should be getting a, at least a couple of their significant pieces back for this one. Uh, Blues versus Tampa tomorrow, 6 o'clock puck drop for that. Alex will have your pregame coverage beginning at 5 right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one's more likely, more likely to happen next on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. I like this one given our conversation today and where it's been focused. More likely that Jordan Cairo has thirty goals this season, or Robert Thomas has fifty assists this season. I'm going to say more likely that Jordan Cairo has thirty goals. Ah, no, you know what? I'm going to go the opposite of that. Can I say both? No, you can't say both because that's sitting on the fence, and we don't do that here on BK and Ferrario. Mm, you don't. Unless, you, unless there's a fence company that wants to sponsor BK and Ferrario because we will sit on the fence every day with your fence company. Um, I'm actually going to go Thomas with 50 assists here. Kairou, I think, can get the 30 goals this season, but there are a lot of mouths to feed. And that's why I think with Robert Thomas getting 50 assists, that's very likely. I think you're going to start seeing Thomas's power play unit more out on the ice for how good they have been. And that line with Buchnevich and Tarasenko, it's dangerous. So, yeah, I think Thomas is going to hit 50 assists. So I'm going to say that's more likely. I'm kind of with BK. I do feel like maybe both might happen. You can't but say I, both, I think- man. You can't say both. I think I'm going to go with Jordan Cairo because I still am... 
kind of having the belief that they may move Vladimir Tarasenko. And to me, I, I feel like Jordan Cairo is the guy that if I feel like I need a goal, he would be the number one guy I want to go to right now. So I think it's more likely he will get to the 30. I think Thomas may fall just a little bit short of 50. And, and let's be honest, as an assist guy, it has to go down to the support with your line mates. If he gets on a line that starts to really struggle, then that may just drag him sure. down a little bit. doesn't mean he's playing bad. I think I'm going to go Jordan Cairo as well. It's just... I think it's really hard to get that those kinds of assist numbers. If anybody can do it, it would certainly be Robert Thomas. He's been outstanding. Listen to these projections so far, guys. This is based on what they've done thus far. If you project it out over the 82-game season. Hit me with it. Robert Thomas is on pace for seven goals and 67 assists. Sounds about right. That's what his current Dang. pace is. Uh, meanwhile, for Jordan Cairo, he is on pace for 34 goals and 52 assists. Sounds 86 about right. points is his current pace for the regular season. I mean, if they get anywhere close to those numbers this year, it's historically great if, on every possible level for the Blues. If those guys do that this year, it would not surprise me this offseason if Doug Armstrong finds a way to lock both of those guys you up long term. You have to buy out that first year of unrestricted free agency. You lock them up for a five or six year deal, kind of like what they did with Jaden Schwartz, where you got him for six and six. If those guys have those seasons, yeah, you have to do that. What do you think it would take if they get, let's say it comes down a little bit because those are, I mean, those are wild projections. Let's say 10 goals, 50 assists for Robert Thomas. So you're looking at 60 points on the year, which is a good season. And then for Jordan Cairo, you finish with 30 goals and 40 assists. So 70 points. I think you could get Robert Thomas. You're talking contract, right? Like what mm-hmm. it will it take? I think you could get Robert Thomas by a six by six. I think you could probably lock him up to something like that, which would probably be justified on both sides. Goal scorers always get paid more. So I would say, look at what the blues played paid Vladimir Tarasenko. What was it? That was a three, six, eight year deal for seven and a half mil. Look at seven by seven, eight by seven and a half, something like that for Jordan Kyra. That's what I would assume. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. By the way, the last time that the blues had two players, multiple players with 75 or more points in a season was all the way back in 2001, 2002, when it was Demetra and Kachuk. So if you have that happen this year, it's literally something that hasn't happened in the last 20 years. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely that Paul DeYoung has a bounce back season this year or Harrison Bader Learns how to hit left-handed and right-handed pitching. Let me clear. Let that me change seems this. Mean. He hit right-handed pitching last year, so more likely Paul DeYoung has a bounce-back season, or Harrison Bader uh, duplicates what he did a year ago offensively. It's. It's. I don't want to sound mean. <laughs> I think it's more likely that Harrison Bader will uh, duplicate what he. Why would that did be last mean, year? Tanner? Well, last year he was a two seventy hitter with a seven eighty five OPS. Harrison Bader, and the reason I say that I think it'd be Harrison Bader is because Harrison Bader is offensively trending in the right direction. Paul DeYoung is trending in the wrong direction. I find it hard to believe that Paul DeYoung is going to just suddenly kind of have that bounce back here after it's been pretty much two years, or I don't remember how many at-bats, two years where he's just not been the same guy. So I think it's more likely it would be Harrison Bader sticking with what he, duplicating what he did last year because he is trending in the right direction. He is learning to hit the breaking ball. He he isn't a guy that just hits mistakes now. He's a guy that is tough to face. And if I'm being honest, 
I've started to look more into him being the leadoff guy. I know BK's been wanting to do that. I'm, I'm starting to lean more towards that as well. So I'd Good say more God. likely it's Bader. Good God, guys. What are we doing here? Especially against lefties. What are we yeah. doing here? I don't know if I trust what he did last year against right-handed go, pitching. He was I'd, good. I'd give him a shot at How about you go least. sign a leadoff hitter named Kyle Schwarber and be done with it? Yeah, I'm here for that, too. Or Chris Bryant. What do you guys think about Chris Bryant? He doesn't like it here. Yeah, I don't think that would go well. He could play second base, right? I mean, he can play anywhere. I, I'm down to sign Chris Bryant if he's willing to come here. I just think that that Guys, seems unlikely. Can we, never mind. I'm if not you could have one former Cub, though, I would rather have Schwarber. Javier Baez. Well, he's, he's already taken. Oh. I would rather have um, Schwarber than Bryant. I, I think the obvious answer here is it's more likely that Bader replicates what he did. I, I just, we've had multiple seasons of Paul DeYoung, and you can use the, the, the excuse of, well, he had some busted up ribs and COVID really impacted him. And maybe all those are true, but it's almost three years consecutively of Paul DeYoung not being the same hitter he was. So I, I just, I don't see it happening. I think it's more likely that um, it's more likely that you're going to have Harrison Bader replicate what he did. By the way, Bader has now played four full seasons. If you're including the 2020 season, uh, which whatever in three of those seasons, he's been an above, above league average hitter. It's not as if he's been somebody that just stinks at the plate ever since he got up to the big leagues. He was really bad offensively in 2017, and he did not perform well in 2019. That was awful, and he struck out way too much, and his batting average by the end of the season was all the way down at 205. Otherwise, though, he's been pretty good, and he gets on base at a high clip. Harrison Bader, I think, is much more likely to do what he did a year ago than it is for Paul DeYoung to just suddenly get back to his 2018-2017 form. I I don't see that as particularly likely. And and maybe this is really unfair of me to say, but I understand the Cardinals saying, well, okay, DeYoung had COVID in 2020, and then 2021 he was dealing with the ribs. How do we explain the second half of 2019 when he really fell off? You that's, can't. That's that, where I'm at with That's it. why it's hard for me to buy in. And maybe, maybe it is true. Maybe it was 2019 was really his first full year. Maybe he just, you know, we hear about players getting tired in their first full year. You're not used to playing 162. Maybe that's the case there. And then maybe it is possible it was the COVID issue and then it was the ribs issue. But I just you find know that a little harder been to there for into. him. The strikeouts have always been there for him. And you've always seen a guy, other than his first full season, when he was runner-up to rookie of the year, you've seen a guy who's middle of the pack in terms of the slash line. I mean, that hasn't changed. 2018, even though he was a really good player for them in terms of OPS, although I I guess, I don't know if you consider 746 that great, but I mean, his second year, he was 19 home runs and 68 RBIs. So, like, he's always been the strikeout guy, and he's always kind of been the hit or miss. 2019 was kind of the anomaly, but like you said, T-Bone, when you take a step back, in that second half of the year, that's where you started to see a trend the other way. Yeah. Uh, it, Paul DeYoung has not been above, an above-league average hitter since 2017. He's only had one, one season where he was tangibly above-league average as a hitter. I mean, that's it's five years ago, guys. Think about what else was going on in 2017. A lot has changed since then. Uh, let's see. Where was I five years ago? I was in Grade school, third school. grade. High school five years ago. Probably. Tommy Pham. Probably 305 for the Cardinals back in 2017. A lot has changed. And he was stabbed. <laughs> well, that was before 2017, oh from what gosh. I understand. <laughs> 65780 is the error comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Uh, guys, more likely to happen. Robert Thomas scores 10 goals, or Paul DeYoung hits 15 home runs this year. <laughs> man, I feel so bad for Robert Thomas because my man just gets robbed an awful lot. Uh, I'm going to say it's more likely that Robert Thomas gets 10 goals. I I don't know if Paul DeYoung is going to have enough playing time to get 15 home runs this season. 
Because I think either you're going to get a shortstop, you're going to see Tommy Edmond get some playing time there, you're going to see Edmundo Sosa over there. I think I might take Paul DeYoung in this. I, I kind of agree. I don't know about the playing time, but he's a guy that is a – he's really good at hitting mistakes, and that's kind of what he was last year. I mean, his numbers were down last year, but he still had some decent pop, and that was coming from when a pitcher would hang a breaking ball. So I think I'll say more likely that DeYoung can get to – what was the number 15? Mm. I think it's more likely he gets that. Thomas – I'm not even sure he's going to reach a projection of six. <laughs> it's, it, it's a legit question at this point. It didn't say in this that Paul DeYoung would hit 15 home runs for the Cardinals, by the uh-huh. way. It just said that he would hit 15 home runs. He's in Colorado, oh, yeah. Throwing that out there. I don't think he's going to end up getting traded unless something crazy happens and they go sign Carlos Correa. No, I don't they think will. that's going to happen either. I'll, oh, now I'll, you're changing your tone again? I do think Paul DeYoung's going to hit the 15 home runs. We were on a team yesterday, man. I know. I, I would like them to do it. I think it's smart. I think it would be the best option that they can possibly have. I'd do it. The DeWallet's open, right, T-Bone? That's right. That's how that works. I think Paul DeYoung hits 15 home runs regardless of where it's at next year. He's still got pop in his bat. I mean, even last year, what did he finish the season with? He was was up there with 20 home runs. He finished last year with 19 home runs. So he's going to get the power. He's going to hit the home runs. It's just a matter of does he hit the ball consistently. When he hits it, still hits it hard. I'll go Paul DeYoung with the home runs. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over with the fast lane here in about 15 minutes or so. But we're going around the NFL coming up next here on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. <laughs> and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Some news coming out of Chicago, according to Matt Spiegel of 670 The Score. He says that he's heard now from two different sources that the Cubs and Marcus Stroman are, quote, hot and heavy in discussions Ooh, right now. Kinky. Would be an interesting signing. So apparently the Cubs might be interested and involved in signing Marcus Stroman. That doesn't why? make a whole lot of sense to me. Why? If I'm Marcus Stroman, why the hell do I want to go there? I'm not sure that his market developed the way that he was hoping. That's my guess. Neither, Still, I think neither I would, the Blue Jays nor the Mets were interested in bringing him back, which is a huge red flag for me anytime that your two former teams don't want to bring you back. Um, I, I want, I'm going to be very interested to see what the deal looks like. That's You're wh- telling me a guy that went on Twitter and called himself a, quote, baller. No, the market didn't develop? What is wrong with calling yourself a baller? I got no issues with that. You called yourself I, a chick magnet on this show. Yeah, but I have proof. So does I he. I don't know that that's true. You don't have a date. You don't have a plus one for our uh, Buzzing! Got him! <laughs> with Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kyler. Uh, let's go around the NFL. Let's start out with the MVP conversation. I feel like this is a weekly thing, and it's... Why? It's even more wide open right now than I think it has been at any point in time over the course of this season. Last week, the Bucks won, and so Tom Brady is still technically the favorite in Vegas at 3-1. to one. He did not have a oh. great game against... It, it, he had two picks in that game, didn't he? Or did he just have one pick? I can't remember was, what the final was, numbers were. I think it was two. Wasn't it like th- three touchdowns and two picks? Yeah, or no? I thought there was or two I picks another week. One interception, one touchdown, one interception, 225 yards. But it was Fournette who really was the big player for them in that game. So he's the favorite at three to one. Josh Allen's four to one. Aaron Rodgers at six and a half to one. Patrick Mahomes at seven and a half to one. That should tell you where 
we are right now with the MVP race. Mahomes has not had a great season, and no, he's at seven and a half to one. Who would you guys bet on today to win win the MVP at the end of the year? I don't I don't think it's Brady. I mean, for me, I would say Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers missed a game. Don't forget, you have to be voted on to win this award. Oh, and Pete, nobody's <laughs> voting for Aaron Rodgers on this one. What? No. You know what? I, I, part of me feels like it's going to be Josh Allen. That's who I would have as the MVP. They better which, win their division. Well, and the other thing is, I mean, he's been trash at a couple of games this season. So to me, there is no MVP. Like, well, they have to give it to somebody. We're boycotting MVPs this year. I, I guess the guy that's going to get it would be Tom Brady, but... Man, I don't think he's played like an MVP this year. You guys are allowed to like boycott their vote on the MLB Hall of well, Fame. Yeah. Can't we I do that for the you NFL You can send MVP? in a blank Hall of Fame ballot I, because you don't agree with it. Stupid. I, I understand Rodgers has to get the votes. I think he's the guy, though, because he looked awesome against the Rams this past weekend. And if he's dealing with a broken toe or fractured toe, whatever it is. Yeah, he showed it on camera. I, well, it didn't look like it on the field. That or the Rams are just that bad. But the yeah, Rams are just that bad. I think he's going to consistently put up some decent numbers in the following, what do we got, six games left for them? I think he'll put up decent numbers, and he'll be the guy that moves in because I just don't see Brady putting up the kind of numbers that are MVP-like. Where's Joe Burrow's? Joe Burrow at? I do it every time. Just deal with it already. Uh, in terms of the overall odds for yeah. him, Joe Burrow got to go way down. 35 wow. to 1 are his odds right now. What about that actually is an interesting one because I, they could win the AFC North still. And if they win that, I think you got to consider because doesn't isn't he top three in touchdowns this season? He's up there. He's had a really good season. What about Jonathan him. Taylor? Getting that on the text line here. Comfort Service text line. I don't think he has any chance of winning it. 23 to 1 is where he's at. Yeah. If you were going to bet that, you should have... You should have done it before last week. The problem is they played a team that stops the run and they stopped giving the ball to Jonathan Taylor. So it shows you some of the limitations of a running back. He's still excellent. Don't get me wrong, but it's not Derrick Henry MVP level. uh, Yeah, where's I can't believe I'm saying this name. Where's Stafford? Where's Kirk Cousins at? It's a good question because I I don't think he'll win it, but. If they make the playoffs, it could be on him. I mean, the guy's thrown for over 3,000 yards. 100 to 1. Oh. Wow. He's only thrown three interceptions. He has 23 touchdowns and over 3,000 yards I think yards I might passing. take those odds. His numbers are really good, man. And, and with Dalvin Cook now out for at least the next couple of weeks, if they end up going on a run here to finish wow. out the season, it's not a crazy thought. It's not. I think those are the two dark horses, Joe Burrow and Kirk Cousins. Keep an eye out for. Yeah, I think those would probably be the two. It, I don't think there's any way Mac Jones wins it. The, the tough part this year is when you look at some of the top teams in the league, there's just not an obvious candidate from them. Mac Jones can't win it. The defense is the MVP before Mac I, I'm Jones. I'm with would you. Be. I'm with you. But I, like Arizona, you can't give it to Kyler no. after he's missed the last few weeks. Baltimore, I don't think Lamar's having really an MVP type of season. New England, I don't think you can give it to Mac. Tennessee doesn't have an MVP candidate now that Derrick Henry's been out. What about Trevor Simeon? Okay. Dallas Cowboys, Dak missed uh, missed a game, what? and he hasn't put up those kinds of numbers. There's just not great candidates this year, so mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. If you're going to go a long shot bet, I think Joe Burrow is probably the one that I would go with. Speaking of the Bengals, they've got a really interesting game on Sunday, Alex. It's the Bengals and the Chargers. Is this the type of game that the Bengals can prove to us that they're a legit contender? Can they do that with a win on Sunday against the Chargers? 100% they can. I think the Chargers have actually regressed over these last few weeks. Uh, they they don't look as – they look about as much of a Super Bowl contender than the 
I'd say the Bills, Chiefs, Ravens do. And frankly, I think I'd give them a little bit less than that because they just haven't played up to the level that you'd expect them to. I think if Cincinnati can take down the Chargers, which I think they can, then I think you have to be talking about a team that's going to make some type of run because the defensive bit has been really impressive, especially coming off of a week with two pick sixes. The offense between Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins, I mean, they're a, they're a triple threat right now, the way that Joe Burrow has been playing. So I think if they're able to get past the Chargers this week, then you have to start talking about this team as a legit Super Bowl contender. See, I'm not going to buy in if they beat the Chargers. And for the reason you said, the Chargers are going in the wrong direction. And I thought Stoltz made a great point yesterday when I was listening to the fast lane saying, what's the one thing you want to see from a team at this point in the year? I just want to see that you've gotten better from the beginning of the year. And the Chargers, they haven't done that. They've actually gotten worse, in my opinion. So I'm not going to buy into the Bengals. Until I can see them. They got two games late in the year at home against the Ravens, against the Chiefs. They play well in both of those, then I'll buy in. Because if you take care of the Chargers at home, uh, the 49ers at home, man, they got a lot of home games, and you're on the road at the Broncos and you win that, I expect you to win all three of those. I want to see you try and take down one of the top teams that I have in my top three in the AFC at home. Then I'll buy in. I already think Cincinnati's better than Baltimore. I don't know. I think they're similar. They got more I think they're in the weapons. same category as the, as that as the Ravens are right now. I'm with Tanner. I need to see them go up against one of the legit top top contenders in the AFC. The Chargers, what they're doing right now with Justin Herbert is maddening. They have completely neutered him. He's Whoa. throwing everything within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Is that allowed? This guy has a cannon of an arm. And Alex, look at these look at these passing charts from the last four weeks. I'm showing them to Alex here in the studio. Look at where all of those green and white dots are. It's everything at or near the line of scrimmage. It, I don't understand. You have one of the strongest armed quarterbacks in the league, and you're basically ch- turning him into Kirk Cousins. He's a check down artist right now. I, I don't get it. Their offense makes no sense to me. They are going in the wrong direction. I'm with you. I agree with what Stalter said yesterday. I'm not going to do that based on this game because I don't believe in the Chargers. I, if they lose this game, I think it'll give me more questions than if they win it, giving me af- more affirmation. Last one that I wanted to bring up. Big game going into the weekend. Next Monday night, Patriots and Bills. Alex, if the Patriots win this one on the road in Buffalo, at that point, will they be unanimously viewed as the team to beat in the AFC? Yeah, I think they're already in consideration as the top team in the AFC. Some people might give them that. But yeah, if you you beat up on the Bills, you're, you're the best team in the AFC. And I don't think anybody can make that argument. Yeah, I'm with you. I already think they are the best team in the AFC, just based on the way watching them play. And Mac Jones just looks even more comfortable than he did at the beginning of the year. And with Bill Belichick, I, I just can't go against him. He's one of the best coaches of all time in the NFL. If so Tennessee gets Derrick Henry back, I think I would go back to Tennessee if they can get healthy. Man, they need A.J. Brown, too. It, they need Julio Jones, too. They're... When they're healthy, I, I agree with you. I think they were the best team in the AFC. I think that was very clear early on in the season. There's not the same team that they were earlier no, on, and they, unfortunately. And you can't be because you don't have the threat of play action like you did with Derrick Henry, and you don't have the receivers to throw to. So with that being said, yeah, the best team is the New England Patriots. Doesn't New England have somebody good, too, else on their schedule? I know they uh, got, they've got I think two games against Buffalo, the Bills. Yeah, I and thought they had somebody at else. the Colts. They, oh, yeah, so that's this weekend, one. at the Bills. Next week, at the uh, at the Colts. And then after that, home against the Bills. See, I the next think, three weeks will tell you everything you need to know about it. I think that defense eliminates the Colts because I think they, they've shown that they can shut down the run. And, and I think without the run, Carson Wentz struggles a little bit. 
So I, I, I don't see that as much of a threat as two games against Buffalo. If they win two out of the next three, they're a legit contender for the Super Bowl. Not mm-hmm. just winning the AFC East, but winning the Super Bowl if they win two of the next three. By the way, I think the one team to watch here, one team worth watching. Oh, boy. One don't team. say the Chiefs. The Chiefs, the Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, Steelers, Bengals, and Broncos, the rest of their schedule. They could easily go 5-1 with the remainder of that schedule. They're 12-5 for the rest of the season. They're going to be right there at the end of the year, just the way we expect it. Blasphemy. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Spirit by donating to this year's character and Smallman 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser supporting Operation Food Search. Donate at least $25 online between now and December 13th. So this is coming up about two weeks from now and you will receive a complimentary 101 ESPN T-Shirt, a koozie and a sticker as a gift for your donation. You score a free 101 ESPN shirt koozie and sticker and the $25 uh, donation helps operation food search serve the metro area during this critical time of the year thanks to our presenting sponsors of this year's 12 days of t-shirts campaign american standard heating and cooling contractors and mcbride homes find all the details of this year's 12 days of t-shirts fundraiser now at 101espn.com Whew, time to cross things over with the fast side. We got <laughs> Jamie Rivers in studio. That is a lot of copy. A what? Whoa. That's a lot of copy right oh, there. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's a long right. life. Read. I must have to call Jamie have something names. in my ear. Sorry. Jamie, uh-huh. what's up, dude? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How you doing? Uh, doing better now that I can breathe again. Whoa. Do you can Really? Get, now, can you copy. BK honest question, serious question here. When you read, are you able to breathe through your nose at the same time? Is this a nose Why joke? Wouldn't or? You be? No, it's not at all. It's a very serious question. Some people can continue to talk and breathe through their nose at the same time. I don't know, man. I just make it work. Huh. I think I, I got a large capacity for breath that comes up through the nose before yeah. I start speaking. I'm guessing that's what I, I don't know. It goes. It's possible. I don't know. I'm just wondering, man. Why you got to go there? I gotta make fun of the nose, BK. Really? Really? Wow. What the hell, man? <laughs> you wanna go? Hey, man. Oh, okay. So You're nice. beautiful in every way, shape, and form, just you like everyone you is. You don't hmm. even believe that. No, I don't. That's Jamie, what is coming up today on the fast lane, my friend? <laughs> More nose talk, probably. <laughs> no, no, we're not gonna talk about that. But someone does have a nose for the net. That's Logan Brown. Local boy finds the back of the net last night. We got his dad, former Blues defenseman Jeff Brown, coming up today at 3 o'clock. We're going to have Jeremy Rutherford at 445. We're going to talk about the Blues and what I would consider a massive victory, maybe a statement win for them based on all the things that are going on with their team right now. We're going to talk about, well, we're talking about baseball and and the lockout to be. And all that other fun stuff. Jamie, I loved your tweet last night. And frankly, why isn't Craig Bruby doing that? Overtime, Kairu, Thomas, and Perunovic. I would have done it. Like, what do you got to lose? It's an incredible. Eastern Conference team, first of all. And so it's not like you're giving points back to somebody who's going to challenge you for a playoff spot. And he's trusting, he's trusting Robert Thomas to kill penalties. And Jordan Kairu's playing in every situation. Scott Perunovic, th- those guys, you know, I got a little bit of pushback. Well, but on the defensive side. 
if they it's have three the, on three, if they have the puck, <laughs> right? Who the hell is taking it from? And, them? and seriously, defensively, you don't have to worry about it because for how fast and quick they are, and the playmaking ability of Kairou and Thomas with per- Perunovic had a pass last night, the one that turned into Barbashev's goal, showcased how good he is. That is a that's an offense that doesn't have to reset in the neutral zone. They go and they yeah. keep going. My only fear in that situation, if I was the head coach, is they're so good and so creative. They would be almost too much to where they'd be looking for the bigger, better play. And it would result in the odd drop man rushes. pass, the sauce pass, the one handed through the legs pass, and all of a sudden it's going back the other way, two yeah. or three on zero on Jordan Bennington. That's so. true. But either way, I think in the It'd future. I think we'll see it because those guys, man, they are fun to watch. Yeah, they're awesome, and they're all having, especially Kairou and Thomas, the numbers that they're putting up right now are just absolutely absurd. Jamie, looking forward to the fast lane today from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Uh-